0: Hi, it's Thursday night, and I'm going to, tired am tired I'm going to try to uh, do the Parsha before I go to sleep, so this way I'll be able to get to the overseas to some degree, even though I was really sure I should do it in the morning here. Um, I was going to do it today in the morning, but I'm doing these lectures, and I have to record them in my house now, before they sent out, it used to be to give them live, but now it's a we're in the BC, when in the Corona era, so I have to do it this way. Anyway, um, today's uh, talk is being uh, sponsored by the Kasorlo's, Rabbi Kasorlo, from um, Boca, who I had the pleasure of meeting in person, BCE, before the Corona era, back in February. Seems like a million years ago, I was in Boca, uh, speaking there, and um, there's another Tukufa, who, we didn't imagine you'd have the corona with the masks, the closings, the social distancing, and all the rest of it. And as you know better than I do, you listeners out there, it might be coming back double-strengths, vase. So we live in strange times. So we thank God, because we'll always thank the uh, sponsors, who's dedicating this to his wife. That's very romantic. <laughs> to his wife, Shoshana. And they, uh, they happen to be on my Zoom. You know, I do a Zoom talk for my show and some other people. Every day at seven thirty for twenty minutes, and uh, it's the new the new normal. You can't give drushes and Shabbos, right? I don't know where you are. No sermons in Shabbos. You dive it in and out. So what's the new form is being replaced around the world? Instead of doing a drush and Shabbos during the week, you do various Zoom type situations. So I just shoot the bull in the parsha four or five times a week. Anyway. Uh, but now, since Rabbi Kassar and his wife are running every day, I can't say over what I said <laughs> in the uh, Zoom. But I'll, I'll share with you an idea that I always had, uh, which I don't think most people get. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody says this. We have in Matas and Massey, the story of the two and a half tribes who don't want to go into Israel and they end up staying in the Transjordan, you know, we Everybody knows that story. Tonight, Koffel, the whole nine yards. Make Hail of got, and so on and so forth. Not necessary for me to explain that. But what it means is that um, otherwise, they, they did something wrong. And Moshe rebuked them. But Hashem in the end said, listen, if they'll go and fight in the army, okay, let them have what they want. So, the language of the Tanai Kafel was that if you don't go and fight, then you have to. Uh, not be on the other side of Jordan, but divvy up the land among us. Okay, fine. So what's the shot? They said, we have so much cattle and, and goods that there's not enough grazing land if we go on the other side of Jordan. al will grena was a However, if you give us the Transjordan area, the area that was occupied by the former kingdoms of Sihon and Og, since it was all wiped out, exterminated, is empty, so it'll be good, a lot of grazing land. That, that's what it says. So talk about, a, and let's put it this way, they had a point. God said they have a point. If he said they had a point, then they're running like this. I hear the time. You know, they do have a lot of stuff, making the rav, and uh, it's a fair argument, which is interesting. Right? I not God said, oh, you have a little faith, how dare you do? They didn't say that. He said, you know, as long as they don't use it as an excuse for, uh, you know, slacking off, in their military duty, right? As long as we will fight in the front lines, you know, which they did, but let me be very clear over here, if you read the book of Joshua, you will see that when they, after the death of Moshe, when the Jews cross um, the Jordan, so they undertake the campaigns of Yeshua, but known against the Canani, and Canaanite, and all the rest of it, and uh, it's pretty clear, although not, not explicit, that they slacked off. In the beginning of the Book of Shoftim, I believe, it lists all the places they did not conquer. I assume you all are listening to what I'm talking about. The Jews failed to take over Israel. They took over parts. That was a huge problem with their most profound consequences, but that's what happened. So by the time you finish the death of Yeshua in the time of Shoftim, and even afterwards... If you looked at a map of Israel, you'd see like spotty, you know, spots. Here's a Canaanite area, here's a Canaanite area, there's a Canaanite area. So the Jews, it's exactly what happened nowadays in the modern state of Israel. The Jews and the Arabs, for better or worse, live mixed together. They don't literally usually live neighbor by neighbor, but here's an Arab town, here's a a Jewish town. Here's an Arab village, here's a Jewish village. Here's an Arab farm, here's a Jewish farm. Isn't that how it goes in Israel? Particularly in the West Bank, but anywhere. Now, that um, was wrong. That's what they did. So, it took them seven years to conquer the land, meaning after seven years it kind of fizzled out. The way I understand it is, once a shaven got its land, more or less, I repeat, more or less, they we said, we're out of here. You know, found the tribe of Zvulun, and I went up north, I got some Zulun karka. Now we're going to devote ourselves to settling the land, working out among our tribe. And you guys fight the rest of it. We'll be there in five minutes. You start without us. And so the army fell apart, little by little. And it's a sad story. And by the time it's over, this is my understanding of Book of Joshua. By the time it's over, the only people really left are the Reuben God of Manasseh, Because they made an oath to Moshe Rabbeinu that they would stick to it to the end. And they did. And if you read in the, and, and the last part of the book of Yeshua, Yeshua Benun says to them, I give you an honorable discharge. In other words, you guys have stayed to the end. Clearly, we're not going to conquer the whole country, because that's not what happened in the time of Yeshua. say so he gave up, or whatever happened. I, you know, I don't know exactly, no one does. But you guys, no time on you. You stayed in the army all the way through. And now this whole thing is falling apart anyway and Everybody's taking possession of their own particular karkov, even though they're still leaning over a lot of geisha stuff, and even though it's going to mean a diminution of the amount of land available to each tribe. There's a story like that in the book of Joshua where the Bnei Yosef or Phrym or whoever go to Yoshua and said, We don't have enough land. And he said, Well, go we'll conquer more, okay? go conquer more, um, because you're supposed to. Uh, so even you, know, you have all that, but uh. Mm didn't finish the job. But Ruben Gunchatzimash stayed to the end, and Yoshua said, I dismiss you, go home, uh, I bless you, best of luck, take all your spoils, you, you your makayim your oath. So the story that begins in Mase ends in the, in the book of Joshua, where Yoshua nun says, You know, you, you fulfilled your promise, the tonight cough and everything. Shon. But the question becomes like this Where would they have fit? In other words, Ruben Gad Chatzim Nasha had a considerable amount of stuff. And as it is, there wasn't enough room for the tribes Taha. And they were cramped. And this is the story of the Bible. Little by little, that's completely unclear to me why, or anybody as far as I know, the Jews never did get around to conquering everything. Little by little by little they did over many, many centuries. Which makes no sense to me. For example, David was certainly a powerful guy. He had a huge army under Yoav. If anybody could have taken out these Canaanite situations, King David and Joab could have. And yet we find, if you read in Debra that instead, King David, who had the military power to either wipe these guys out or chase them out, instead chose to use them as a slave labor force for projects associated with the temple Because David Melch didn't build the base of megas, but he did everything but. This is a story that's told in great detail in Debrey Amalf, in the second part. And uh, and Shlom Melch also. uh, It says in the Book of Kings, that he used the Canaanites and these others as kind of a slave labor force. You're not supposed to do that. And the Chumash Moshe makes it clear over and over again, either kill these guys or get them out of here. I don't want them around, God says. To be letzidim, letzidachem, letzidim, letzidachem, whatever the language is, It'll be bad news. And in spite of that, as we all know, Jews did not do that. Little by little, it happened. For example, if you're going by what's explicit, I repeat, what's explicit in the Tanakh, what did King David do in terms of getting rid of some of these uh, spots? The answer is, he captured the city of Jerusalem from the Abusi. So that had been an area, a city that had not been taken, and now it was if you want to really get down nitty-gritty, and I'm sure I must have mentioned it here, it doesn't even say in the Tanakh that he captured Yushalayim. I know it sounds funny, because we all say, Yushalayim, here, Dovid and all the rest of it. Open the book of Shmuel and read, and tell me, it, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. <laughs> you won't see the words that say that David uh, conquered Yushalayim. It's funny. They talk about Mitsudas David, and they talk about Amic Refine. They don't talk about, you know, Capturing Jerusalem, but let's say he did, um, but nothing else. Why didn't David take out the uh, you know I mean the Chiby and the uh, Yevusi and all these other things you know whatever, right? And Mori. That's what happened. Similarly, if you want to get down to it, we know that when Shlomo Melch got married, one of his thousand marriages, uh, he married Bas Paro, and as a wedding present, Paro came with an Egyptian army to Israel went after one of these little patches, these bubbles, these Canaanite cities named Gezer, and wiped it out. And uh, therefore Shlomo got the, the cargo. So, and that was a wedding present. So again, it's weird, because Shlomo is super powerful, and rich, and why didn't he just uh, chase these people out, as it says in the over and over again to do, and Moshe Urbeinu warns them repeatedly, you better get rid of him, you better get rid of him, you better get rid of him. Rid of him. But he didn't. If you go by the Ghazal, they the process unfolded very slowly, and the last Canaanite stronghold whether it was the Kanani, a Murray, Busi, Prezi, you know, whoever it was, right? Whoever it was, uh wasn't time of Yoruba the second, believe it or not. Because it says something to the effect who Heshiv was a a Gvul or something like that. Uh, in in Lachem Bays, and uh, you look at it, it's a famous Chazal, it's in Yishalmi and Chal, as I recall. That's one of the only things I recall from that. And they say in his time, so that's very late in Jewish history. In fact, the, the spiritual damage had already been done. So let that be. Now, that means that in the time of Reuben, Ganachat, and Menasha, Israel didn't have that much land, and now you have the two and a half tribes, and Moshe Abana was urging them, come on and settle together with us. Now, I understand that it's better for all the Jews to be together physically and in other respects as well. And that's how the story played out. But what I'm asking is, what was the Havamina that they would come and settle among the other Jews if there wasn't enough land for anybody anyway? In other words, what would you have done with that mik Rav anyway, all that property and sheep and cattle? What would have, where would they have gone if there wasn't room? Yeah, one could answer, well, maybe if the two and a half tribes... I don't like this answer. I'm just saying you could. Had moved in with their whole families, they would have been more stark in the war, and they would have conquered more of the land that wasn't conquered, and maybe it would have been moved for them. That's like a high school answer, in my opinion. I'll tell you what I think. and I, I don't see anybody say this. And the reason I do uh, Maybe I'm wrong but I'm just going with what I know and it has to do with the fascinating phenomenon of Lebanon in today's Parsha, double Parsha you will see that God very interestingly delineates the borders of Israel right? the borders of Israel Minachem uh, Israim until uh, you know, all the way up north, Turi Amnon the Ammanus Mountains uh, get, get an R.E. cap on Chumash I'm serious I mean, you can go online and do it also. Look up a big biblical Israel or something like that. <laughs> because this is, any Christian will know this. You And, you know, it says in this week's passage, V'yotzer chatzar gvul, V'yavar enon, and Zifrona, and this and that and the other, Male Akravim. I mean, we know these places, more or less. And so a map is drawn by God, meaning a line from, uh, you know, Nachah Mitzrayim and all that, which takes in, the land that you and I call Israel today, it does not include the Avari Yarden. It also does not include the Negev, if you take the trouble to look. I repeat, it does not include Negev, except the very northern, northern part of the Midbar Tzin. Um, but what happens? So, so basically, the line runs from the bottom of the Dead Sea all the way straight up to the north, through the Jordan River, up to the Kinneret. All right, so far you know what I'm talking about. Now what about when you get north of the Kinneret? It's very interesting It takes in, basically, Lebanon and the whole Syrian coast, depending how you draw the map. Ary Kaplan is rather modest, as I understand it, in where he draws the map. In my opinion, it should go all the way up to uh, where, uh, what do you call it, the Bay of Exendoron, you know, uh, Antioch, used to be. I don't know if you know this, probably you don't. If you look on the map, Drebrenschelm works in funny ways. And you have two countries, as I think we know today, Syria and, and Turkey. They both hate Israel, at least Erdogan does. They're really supposed to stick it to Israel. And if they combine their forces, here's what we got. It because because Turkey's a mighty power. It's not like one of these Arab countries. It was a NATO member. And the Turks have a history of being good fighters throughout history. The only thing is, um, Turkey used to rule the Middle East. When the Turks lost the First World War, all their land was stripped from them except for Turkey. And Syria was given to the French, Syrian Lebanon. In 1938, the Turks said that uh, that little area uh, to, right near the, Tur- the border between Turkey and, um, and Syria along the Mediterranean coast, Alexandretta, Skenderun, the Alexander Harbor... Um, they want it. And I forgot why, but France gave it to them, because it wasn't French anyway. I mean, the French didn't give a darn. Um, It's Syria. Who who cares? And so, if you look at the map, you'll see Turkey is that whole Turkish peninsula, plus a little finger into Syria. Oh my goodness, do the Syrians hate this. And I don't blame them. And the Syrians have sworn to get it back, and that's like a gigantic um, uh, period between Syria and Turkey. They'll never go away. And the made that in 1938, said so until today, almost 100 years later, the two countries can never really combine. They can combine temporarily to go against Israel temporarily, but really they're more angry at each other than anything else. So in other words, Assad, the president of Syria, has sworn he'll get that piece of land back, and Erdogan has sweared that no, they won't. That little piece of land is the end of the border of Israel, Right? But even if you go like the Ari Kaplan map and you're more uh, modest, basically, if you read, you'll see that the borders of Israel, that are supposed to be the borders of Israel, is Lebanon, plus a, a, a chunk of Syria. right? Now, uh, what happened? No Jews have ever gone there. Nun didn't do it. David Neumah didn't do it. I repeat, Dovah Neumah did not do it. He was allies with the rulers over there, the Phoenicians. Shlomo didn't do it. The Maccabees didn't do it. It's just interesting. No one made an attempt to add that area to Israel, even though as part of God's command. After all, in this week's parsha, you have the famous Ramban, who said, The mitzvah is the of which means it's an obligation Ramban holds. in his hasagos on to save for if I recall correctly. Then every generation is supposed to try to, to strive to conquer and drive out the Arabs from the Mizrah. Kid you not, take a look, you'll see. The Rambam very famously does not mention Yeshivars in the 613 Misses Ramban, Rambam, takes them to task for it, etc. etc. If you're really interested in this kind of stuff, there's that book, My Soul is that what it's called? Mrs. Melch from Saman is really excellent. And I remember seeing he has a nice little piece on there and the are on Whatever the case is, um, this is supposed to be part of Israel. Now I'm going to tell you the interesting thing. What is the reason that the Jews never even made an attempt to go, if you want to be biblical, to go north of Haifa, let's say? Literally. Akko was never part of biblical Israel, as far as I know. Akko was never part of Israel in the Second Temple era, either. I know the Mishnah talks about Akko with the Git and all that, But if you want to be historical about it, King Alexander the who was the conqueror among the Hasmoneans, had a whole campaign against Akko, and it backfired. And instead, the Akko and the Greek allies invaded and devastated Israel. And they uh, uh, did cannibalism and things like it. It was a terrible, terrible defeat for the Jews. So the bottom line is, Akko was never part of Israel. Kalvachom or anything north of Akko. So the state of Israel today includes land which, as you know, goes up to Nariah, to Rosh Rosh Anikra, is that what it's called? Um, Which never was part of biblical Israel. Now, it's part of biblical Israel in the sense that it's assigned to Israel, but, I mean, it never physically was occupied by the Jews. It is now. So, all I'm saying is, there wasn't even an attempt to add this land to Israel. So, you know what I'm telling you? This was supposed to be the land of the Reuben, and No, there's a tit-for-tat, had they not screwed up and had they followed the pushup shot and gone into Israel along with everybody else instead of saying we won't have our own territory here, Al Taviran is the Yardin, then they would have crossed the Jordan. And then they would have occupied the territory all the way up north, which is incredibly fertile. This is Lebanon with a whole river what's it called there, that very important river which is much bigger than the Jordan River, uh I forget, you know, it's not far north of... Uh, Litani, right? With the Litani River, and there's mountains. Notice it's Gvaldika Lebanon is a beautiful place. The Syrian part next to it is also. The parts... It's fascinating, you know? The parts past that, like from Damascus into the west, are barren, desert-like. Even today, Syria is going through terrible time with the starvation, because the agriculture doesn't work there. And the lands of the map that God assigned the fertile part it's just interesting the two and a half tribes would not have been in the transjordan area that you and I know the land of Sifan and Og the transjordan which is basically a strip along the uh, um, Jordan River it's not the whole land of Jordan today even though you know Menachem Begin may say so Jabotinsky may say so but uh, not really I mean Amman, Jordan was the capital of Rabat Ammon of the kingdom of Ammon how far is the Jordan from the Jordan River? It's not that far, so the Jewish area was between the river and that. You know what I mean. All I'm saying is that uh, that would be very, wouldn't that be interesting? Then the territory of Eretz role would not have included Jordan River. That would have been a, a boundary line, but it would have included all the way up north, all of Lebanon, and possibly, if I'm correct, not Aryeh Kaplan, and most scholars I think agree with me. I believe. they talk about tori amnon because the the dunkler says also that's the amanis mountains that's the border between syria and turkey so basically it means that we would have controlled um the entire coastline from you know gaza up to turkey isn't that amazing the whole coastal area and inland would have been part of right i say it again. Go get a map. Go get the already capital and look on page 852 or go Google somewhere if you're interested. And, and It's not that hard. It would, it would be Hamas, Levo Hamas, which is Hamas. And uh, it, would quite, it would have been very interesting. So this is like an exercise in, it's like a from speech. They had little faith. Uh, they saw, and this is the problem, when you have Mkhna Sometimes it blocks the vision. You know, saying The money gets in the way. If they have a bigger vision, they would say if God wants us to go across the Jordan, must have a must have a reason. And it would have turned out good in the end. Because they already would have taken it over, it would have been bigger than what they took over. I repeat, we're talking pretty much the whole or most of the coastline of Lebanon and Syria. That's a lot bigger than Avery, aren't they? Agreed? That's a lot bigger. Plus from a commercial perspective, other things. And Matt, I'll say it again. Just imagine from a trade perspective, from a merchant, mercantile perspective, if the Jews had ever controlled the entire littoral, the entire coast of Palestine and Syria, from, like I say, Gaza or Rafiah to all the way north, you know, to, to, to the Turkish Peninsula. I mean, the amount of Geld coming in from there, you control that kind of trade, it's crazy. That means Akka would have been a Jewish city. Beirut would have been a Jewish city. Antioch would have been a Jewish city. Latakia, you know, and so on and so forth. You get my point. And uh, Jews would have been rocking. The Jews would have been rocking. But they didn't show that uh, faith. Instead, they said, I'll you, we want to be here. And God basically, and, and I think, I, to my mind, that's the reason God telling us, okay, if that's what you want, I'll give it to you. You will one day realize your folly. But I'll give in to you, and, uh, you know, as long as you fight in the army, I won't uh, deny you to you, and so on and so forth, but um, you make a mistake. And Moshe cussed him out, as you all know. Now, he thought they were trying to you know, chicken out of the fighting, but it's more than that. It was, you know, don't try to outsmart God. And uh, as a result, we find a situation that the Jews have never had any luck with Lebanon. They never had a chance of taking it over or anything like that. And even recently, when Israel went to a war in Lebanon, they got busted, as we all know. It's just fascinating to me. Because in the Tanakh, the borders are laid out pretty heavy, you know, pretty clearly. I'll repeat, they didn't include the Negev, although the state of Israel has the Negev. It didn't include... It did include north of Haifa, Israel's is a piece of that, but only because of the British Mandate, you know, the way the British and the French divided it. Uh, had there been... Uh, a Jewish settlement, meaning it had been part of His Israel, if Lebanon would have been part of Israel long ago. Well just being an interesting what if? And if I was the Maharal type, like my friend Rabbi Naaman and those types, you know, the Reb you know, let me put it this way. What do we know about the base Hamiddosh? It's built with cedars of Lebanon. They they go to great lengths in the Book of M Locham, to talk about the fact that David and then Shlomo hooked up with Hiram Melzor, the king in Lebanon, to get all this cedar stuff. And over and over again, when you read about the Bates Amigdus in Melachim and the Dibra Yama, it's Lebanon and Lebanon and Lebanon. It's just kind of interesting, right? And even later on, it's a Ha'arat Toba Zeba uh And uh, Shlomo Melch made a palace called Basiar Halavanam. So the Lebanon Zach uh, keeps reappearing. Now, what I mean by the Maral or the Reb or the Dessler, or Hasidic, yeah, you know, they say, you know, what's that, that they wanted to see those love, is it simply because it was good wood? Yeah. Is that the Pshar? Uh Which is a plain Peshad shot You know, they're going to go into more than that. And I can just imagine the comes from the word Lovon, which is white, which is pure, I don't know, you know, say whatever you want, uh, if you're in, in a Drusha mood. But, you see the intimate connection between the Lebanon and the base of Mekdos. Is, it's just kind of interesting. You understand? It's just not another country. It's a country with, a, with, a, with a, an unclear but important connection with the most sacred spot in, in the world, the most sacred spot in Judaism, which is the Temple of Jerusalem. By the way, when they rebuild the second temple, same thing. Look in the book of Ezra, you'll see. Um, and so we're just left. What this, you know, what if? Uh, now there's a lot of movies and uh, games, you know, what if? What if the South would have won the Battle of Gettysburg? I don't know, stuff like that. Sir, so I leave you with this to discuss, if you wish to. So. You know, what would happen if the two and a half tribes did not you know, take the attitude that they did? Let's say instead, they would have crossed the Jordan and ended up conquering the full business, which was uh, including the Lebanon, the Lebanon, And Israel would look much different today than it did then. Oh my, we'll never know. But anyway, that's uh, something that strikes me as a lot of food for thought whenever you come to these two parshas. And with that, I bid you a good Shabbos.